I've just always loved the entrepreneur, like the creator. I think anybody that wakes up every day to make the world a better place for every other person to live in is it's pretty cool. Like it's, it's, I think a lot of entrepreneurs forget that, that if we don't wake up to do what we do, the world doesn't get better. I mean, it's the, it's the essence of what creators do. It doesn't matter what you do from lawn care to photography to, you know, podcasts or whatever. It's like you're, you're creating value or your thing wouldn't be valuable, right? Hey, if I was to tell you that time is the one sort of non-renewable resource that we have, this would not be a surprise to you, right? Well, you just heard from there a second ago. That's Dan Martell, and he's on the podcast this week. We're talking about time, how to buy back your time and get unstuck. This is part of a new book that Dan came out with. Um, if you're not familiar with Dan and his work, great guy. He's an award-winning entrepreneur. He's an angel investor. Uh, he's really focused in coaching uh, a lot of SaaS companies. I don't know if you know that term. SaaS is software as a service. But he's a fantastic um, manager and very, very insightful, helping founders, entrepreneurs, um, not just manage their time, but sort of manage the ecosystem of creativity. His focus in this particular episode and his most recent book is around time because, as I opened with just a moment ago, it is the one resource that we can never, ever get back. In this episode, we cover a bunch of stuff, things like how to actually calculate a rate that will help you decide, should you do this or should you outsource it? I found this very insightful. Of special interest to our community here is largely around when to hire services out. What should you be doing? What should you hire out? How should you make those decisions? Uh, it's super insightful. If you're interested in growing your empire, as Dan calls it, empire is, you can sub that in for, it's not literally like empire strikes back, but if you're, you can sub that in for, if you, if you're interested in growing your ecosystem to have more money, have more time, have more freedom to do the things you love in life, this episode is going to help you out a lot. All right, then I'm going to get out of the way. Yours truly and Dan Martell, how to buy back your time. Dan, we made it happen. Welcome to the show, bud. Chase, it's an honor, man. Big fan, big fan. I'm excited to be here. Uh, it's a treat. Uh, we were just talking before we recorded, uh, everyone who's listening, uh, I often consider myself South Canada here in Seattle. You're hailing from Kelowna, BC, which is a lovely town, I might add. Um, I woke up this morning. It's just brisk and clear down here. I had a little... I, 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 my, I nailed my morning routine, so I got some juice. Nice. I'm coming at you, pumped up this morning. Uh, very excited to talk about your new book, which is called Buy Back Your Time. Uh, but besides the book, I know you've been doing a lot of press. Um, I find that my goal today would be to, to talk about the book, but also, uh, as I also shared prior to recording, that your name has just started appearing in my feed a ton, and most of the people that I pay attention to uh, are paying attention to you because you're doing interesting things. You've been, you got your SaaS um, universe, which is for those people who don't know, software as a service. Um, so we've got, suffice to say, we got some ground to cover. I'm properly caffeinated, but for those folks who are new to you and your or your work, how do you um, how do you describe yourself? Orient us in time and space around you and your work, so we know where to start. Yeah, I mean, I am known as the software guy, so I, I run the largest software CEO coaching program in the world called SaaS Academy. We have about a thousand active coaching clients. I have a whole coaching staff and we run events. Um, I'm also an investor in software companies. So I, I've invested in 50 companies as an angel investor personally. And then I have High Speed Ventures, which is um, kind of my family office. And, and through that and the funds, we probably invest in about two or 300 companies a year through those um, entities. And then I've just been a hardcore entrepreneur since I was 17. Um, and I've built a few companies that people might have known, like Flowtown. So I did Sphere Technologies when I was 24, sold that four years later. Um, that's kind of when I made my first money. You know, I think people are always curious, like, how did he make his money? I was 27, working 100 hours a week. Um, I made I, I still remember the call I got from my accountant. He's like, you want to hear something cool? I was like, what? He's like, you have a million dollars in cash in your bank account. And I asked if that was good. And he just laughed. He goes, yeah, it's pretty good. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to get back to work now. So like 
you know, I, I, I sold that company a year later, you know, um, and then just moved to Silicon Valley, did Flowtown, which is a social marketing platform for um, small businesses, um, raised venture capital, did the whole Silicon Valley ride. Um, and then after I sold that, I think two years later, we, I did clarity.fm, which is a marketplace for entrepreneurs to get advice over the phone. That's, that's my passion. And, you know, we can dive into taking risk in life, but that was honestly my, um, kind of like, uh, attempt to do what I do today, but in a Silicon Valley way, cause I wasn't <laughs> w being honest with myself. I don't know if anybody can relate to that, but that was, that was clarity and that was super fun. Um, and yeah, I just, I'm also an athlete, you know, we were talking about backcountry stuff. So I do a lot of stuff in the mountains, mountain biking, snowboarding, uh, triathletes. I did three Ironmans last year. This year I'm doing some Spartans and uh, 50 K ultras and got two young boys. And I, I try to just squeeze as much as I can out of every day. Beautiful. Well, I'm going to start digging into a handful of those different topics that you, you did a very nice job with that, by the way. Thank you. Um, it sets me up for success. So I want to, of those things, um, what I find interesting is most interesting, not because of the accomplishments, but there was a part in there where you say, I'm, I tried to do the Silicon Valley thing to the thing I'm doing now. Mm. And to me, this is fascinating because if you investigate folks who have um, created success for themselves, and likely uh, a smaller portion of those have created a fulfilling life, which what I know of you from our mutual friends that you have done that as well. Of that narrow subset, I would say 100% of these people, super, super famous billionaires, people who we've never heard of, who've made a ton of dough, who have found their passion, success, and fulfillment, 100% of these people have at some point tried to do things like other people told them to do and then have ultimately through usually a whole hell of a lot of pain found that that doesn't work and that the only way to do this is not by the rule book that someone else wrote and not what you think from the news and not what your investors tell you and not what your parents and grandparents and career counselor you have to figure this shit out for yourself mm -hmm. so in there in that little that it was like a one sentence thing I want to hear a little bit more about that. You did the Silicon Valley thing the way other people wanted, and then you figured out how to do it yourself. Let's start there. Yeah. the um, it, It's interesting. I've never shared this ever, and I appreciate you kind of pulling on that string. <laughs> I know. I know yeah. the right string to pull on. It's it, Because I think, you know, I, I did a bootstrap company, Spheric Technologies. I owned 100% of the company. You know, it made me wealthy and I'm super grateful for that. And then, and then, you know, because I, I was like, I remember I lasted like six months. Um, and I, you know, cause I was like the big fish in a small pond. I grew up in a small town in Eastern Canada in a province called New Brunswick. So, you know, I had, after that exit, I had all the stuff, right. The cottage, the boats, the, 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 the big house I was building. And I just like, almost like out of desperation for fear of waking up and being that like 45 year old single man going to the clubs and just partying. Right. Like, cause I literally fast forward and I knew this guy named Norm who had, had lived this life. Um, and I was like, Oh, I don't want to be Norm. Uh, I just woke up one day and bought a one way ticket to San Francisco. And I went to the Valley because if you're in tech in software, like it's kind of Disneyland. Right. And yeah. I didn't know a soul. I didn't know a person. And got a, got a studio apartment down by Dolores park in, in the mission district and, and quickly like got into the scene, right? I didn't have to work. I was just going to events and, you know, you'd go to a coffee shop and you'd look around and everybody's on MacBooks, everybody's working on pitch decks or code. And slowly I just would meet people. And it was like, they would ask me like, well, what are you working on? And I was like, well, I don't really know. And they're like, they would just stop talking to me. And like for three weeks I thought, man, this, you know, I thought I didn't blame Americans, but I was like San Francisco for sure. Not nice people. Right. There's, there's, there's clicks. And eventually I remember cold emailing Paul Graham, who's, you know, the creator of Y Combinator. I emailed a hundred different, I, I found a list of like the top most influential people in tech. And I just emailed them and, you know, Jason Calacanis, Louis Lemur back in the day, you know, Michael Arrington from TechCrunch, and just asked, you know, here's who I am. Here's what I know how to do. I'm trying to add value. What do you suggest? Here are my skills. And, and Paul says, he replies and he goes, um, every startup needs help with marketing. Do that. 
So I remember the next day I went to a coffee shop and I looked to my left and tried to introduce myself. And the guy's like, what do you do? And I was like, well, I help startups with marketing. And he's like, well, I'm a startup and I need help. And I was like, cool, how can I help? And it sounds funny, but <laughs> that was the, I did that for probably a year where I would just like go in for these two week sprints. But because of that, I got into the, the culture of the Valley, right? The build a billion dollar company or nothing, change the world or nothing. Like, and it was intoxicating. It was, it was fascinating to me. Um, all the, the, the mediocre success from their perspective that I had on back in Canada, even though I was like a multimillionaire, didn't matter. I didn't go to Stanford Berkeley. I didn't sell my company for a billion dollars. They had never heard of me. You know, I didn't build a consumer app. That's another bias that, that permeates the Valley. And, and, and I just started doing stuff and building stuff. And that's when I started Flowtown. And like, it's, it's interesting because there was like a lot of positives I took out of that experience of like how to choose markets and how to build teams. And a lot of the stuff I wrote about in my book, actually, like I, I met Naval Ravikant, who's an incredible thinker. He's just one of the top minds. He built Angelus and, and one of the top angel investors in the Valley. And he really taught me about leverage, right. And just like how to, you know, essentially what I call buy back your time. And, um, but what happened was, is after I sold Flowtown, like I'd always had a passion for coaching to give context. Like I had been writing a blog for at that point, five years. Um, I would do phone calls with any entrepreneur that reached out to me. I had invested in about 20 companies up to that point. So I started when I was 26, 27. And, um, I've just always loved the entrepreneur, like the creator. I think anybody that wakes up every day to make the world a better place for every other person to live in is, it's pretty cool. Like it's, it's, I think a lot of entrepreneurs forget that, that if we don't wake up to do what we do, the world doesn't get better. I mean, it's the, it's the essence of what creators do. It doesn't matter what you do from lawn care to photography to, you know, podcasts or whatever. It's like you're, you're creating value or your thing wouldn't be valuable. Right. Yeah. And, and instead of like, I remember I was like, you know, getting all these people that wanted me to, to, you know, coach with them or, or whatever. I just, I, instead I built this whole freaking platform. I literally started this tool that clarity, which was again, a mark is if LinkedIn had a call button, that's the best way to understand what it was. So it was a marketplace for entrepreneurs to get advice from other entrepreneurs and made themselves available for a fee. A lot of them donated to charity. And I, it came because I built this call tool. It was literally, you know, once we announced that we exited Flowtown, I had like 300 emails in my inbox from entrepreneurs that wanted to talk about like raising capital, exiting their business. And I just built this productivity tool myself. I, I used I code, I used to code a lot more and it would just build a call list. And that was version 0.01 of clarity. Even the domain was just like an $8 domain that I bought because I needed to host it publicly. <laughs> And, um, it spiraled into this crazy idea that if, you know, every person with a social media audience and a followership can make themselves available to others. Um, I think that would be a really cool thing to do, but it was not really what I wanted to do. It was aligned with it. What I really wanted to do is just do more coaching. And well, how did so you get on, sucked in? Uh, sorry, I'm going in, to in, interrupt for yeah. a second. How did you get sucked in? You said, it's not really what I wanted to do. I really wanted my, to just do my coaching. audience, my community, like literally it's the okay. people, right? Okay. It's funny. Cause if you tell somebody, I mean, that back in the day, this was, this would have been 2012. So about 10 years ago, if you told somebody that you had a coach, you were weird. Okay. Today it might be a lot more acceptable because, you yeah. know, Mark Benioff talks about Tony Robbins and you know, the trillion dollar coach book and Naval Ravikant and Matt Machari from the great CEO within like, it's now actually cool to have a coach, but back then, if you were a coach, definitely people looked down on you. And if you had a coach, it was like something was wrong with you, right? It was almost like a performance improvement thing that people assigned you a coach. So I just got, I just was in, in this, this world, this community of like, how does every idea become a billion dollar idea? Not what would actually light me up. And I went down <laughs> the path of raising 1.7 million in funding and building this big marketplace. And, you know, and, and just to give people like, I was so in love with the idea of like advising and coaching. I did 1200 clarity calls in a two year period. So like wow. I spent most of my time using my own product to do the thing I actually wanted to do instead of actually building, building the that. company. Yeah. It still was successful and we exited, but, um, you know, I often tell people cause they're like, okay, well I think I need to do a B and then C to do, you know, D and I'm like, 
or you can just do D. And they're like, yeah, but I don't have enough experience or this isn't the right way to do it or I need to learn this. It's like, I'm just telling you from my personal experience. Now, the way I look at my world is I, I'm very much skipped to the end. And then what do I need to do today to get that outcome? I'm not, I'm, I, I, I've gotten really good at being self-critical of making decisions based on other people's perceptions. Because at the oh, end of the day, it's my world, it's my life. And there you and, go. And their opinions, you know, th there's a great quote that says people that matter don't care and people that care don't matter. And that's kind of how I've and, and once I moved out of the valley, it's like none of that stuff existed anymore. It's hilarious. <laughs> so I'm going to I'm going to uh, attempt to frame that. So you move to the valley after defining a certain amount of success for yourself in Canada, building some companies like, great, you show up at the Valley, Valley, they don't give you any credibility because you haven't built a billion dollar company or you don't have all of the top venture capitals on your cap table or, you know, whatever the, the thing is there. And you start listening, there's a lot of voices and those voices tell you to build a thing. And then you cite that thing as you have to do a, and then B and then C. So one of the things like a is, is, raise you money. know, create a pitch deck. B is raise money. C is, you know, then start building your thing. And at the end of the day, it's sort of like the, the what's the mexican fisherman story i don't know if you know that one it's yeah like, yeah it's a good you know, one it's a good yeah. one and if you don't know that look it up i don't want to derail our conversation but all of those things just to do the thing you loved and that is your shorthand for what if you just did the thing you loved and ignored steps one you know abc can't you know is, is that a better way of being in the world so you left silicon valley and all that chatter went away yeah. and then it, you're back ironically to coaching, right? And, that, and, and, and because of that, I have built one of the largest coaching businesses in the world. Like it's crazy how I, I would have never even anticipated that the world that I live in today could be a thing. I didn't know because I wasn't even pulling on that string. I was like trying to play this life. And, you know, and me and my, my friend, Will, he, he, he bought my company, Clarity at startups.com. Will Schroeder, he's, he's a fascinating dude. He's a serial entrepreneur to the max. And he's the one that him and I talked about it. He's like, everybody wants this like outcome, right? And I know with Creative Live, you, you yeah. went down that path as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Investors want out is, at some point. Yeah. And if you just, but if you just like unpack it and say like, what do you really, what are you trying to achieve? Right. So like for a lot of people, it's just financial freedom. It's like, I want to be able to wake up and, and not have to work if I don't want to. Most people are going to create. And I love that. And, and then we just like, you break it down to first principles. Like it's not a lot of money, right? Like if you think about what would it take for you to live in the house you want to live in, drive the car you want to drive, travel the way you want to travel, uh, create the way you want to create, et cetera. I mean, at the most, I mean, if we're being super luxurious, maybe 75 grand a month, 50 grand a month kind of thing, it's not a hundred million dollar exit. It's yeah. not a billion dollar outcome. And that's the big thing. And I actually talk about it in the book and the buyback rate and understanding how to think about your time through this lens of, you know, dollars and resources and buying it back so you can actually have more freedom. Um, I've, I've kind of come to a completely new conclusion that you know, we're trying to race towards creating a life of creation that we don't have to retire from. Like that's, that's my philosophy. Some people might want to go sit on a beach for six months. That's fine. It's, it's not mine. I want to feel useful. I want to create, I want to collaborate with people that I admire. And, um, and I want to feel like I'm, I'm exercising my uniqueness. And that's now the new kind of, if we wanted to call it an optimization routine, cause I'm a bit of a nerd, but just like that's the direction in my life, right? Like live a high quality of life. I mean, it's the same reason I don't go on vacations unless there's a physical component to it. Like yeah. I just don't. I just, I audit my year every year. Tim Ferriss talks about this. Like at the end of the year, look at your previous year and kind of score it a little bit. Like what did you do and did you like it? Would you do it again? And then use that as an input to plan your next year. And that's just one example of something that I came up with for me personally. So it's, it's more of allowing yourself to be 100% who you are which I read recently, I think it was a tweet. Somebody said like, oh no, it was Gary V said it. It was actually great. Um, he said, the most unique thing you could, or the most authentic thing you could be is unique. And the thing that would scare you the most is being unique. But that's all we want to do in life is just be who we know we are fully expressed without any constraints or fear of judgment. And it that's what I've sl slowly gotten to. Yeah, it's the it most unique thing or creative thing you could do is just be yourself 100%.
and it's uh, it, it is both uh, what is it simple but not easy super right? hard yeah like, yeah it's, it's like, simple yeah. the conceptually it's very simple but it's very difficult and this is one of the reasons you know in your intro I latched onto this as a as a way for us to get into the conversation because I am obsessed with this every I, literally a hundred percent of the people that I know who have this um, who have over time you know created this balance of success and fulfillment because one without the other is tough. Um, the, they all have said at some point, like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm doing this right by this list of rules that other people have created. It's not even any one person's thing. It's like this um, amalgam of like, I hate this term to best practices. And, and yet here I am, I'm not, I'm, I'm, there's a gap between me and my authentic self. There's a gap between me and what I actually want to create versus what everyone tells me I should create. And there's this process of just going back and trying to find yourself, which again, simple, not easy because finding yourself is hard when you have all this other noise. So specifically now I want to ask you the question of when you went back to Canada, you started focusing on your coaching. What was the difference between your ears of that time versus the time when you were in Silicon Valley trying to build a billion dollar company? The, the primary thing that I shifted consciously was my peer group, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I tell this to people often because one of the most powerful things that we could work on is our identity. You know, James Clear has a great book, Atomic Habit, and he talks about identity because there's habits and there's routines and all these things. But when those eventually just become who you are, um, that's when things get powerful. And I had an identity prior that I am a tech Silicon Valley entrepreneur and I build billion dollar companies. The challenge with that is that, and I invest in them today and I love the entrepreneurs that want to go do that. Um, it's an all or nothing proposition. Like if yep. you truly want to be the best in the world and you want to build an Airbnb or a Dropbox or a, you know, chat GPT or whatever, whatever it is, if you want to build something that's a category defining world-class company, which is cool, there's no balance, right? Which I know you talked about recently on you know, the, the whole hustling thing. There just isn't. And, and, yeah. for, and I just want to explain to people like, that's the trade you're making, like just yeah. consciously understand it and make it. And if you do that, cause you're like, Hey, I'm okay with that. Fine. Right. But it's just when it's unconscious and, you know, often there's this analogy of like, you know, climbing the ladder of success. And I think most people listening to this right now, they're going to be successful. It's just when you get to the top of that ladder, are you going to discover it's leaning against the wrong wall? And that's what happened for me. I, I was successful. I went to the Valley. I built three companies, exited those within a 10 year period. I had all the financial kind of accolades and a lot of the, the public mm -hmm. recognition, yeah. but it, it still wasn't what I wanted to do. So because one of the fastest ways to shift your identity is your environment, right? Like it doesn't matter how positive mental attitude you have. If you're sitting in a freezer, like a deep freezer in a restaurant, you're going to be cold, right? If you want to increase your body temperature, go to a warm room. So like, as soon as I decide, okay, I want to be a coach. And, and, and I knew this, like structurally, this is how I built all my companies is building like these really powerful peer groups. I just found all the coaches in my life. I, I reached out to one of my best friends, he's like the French Tony Robbins. And we just spent a lot of time together. I started going to events. I, um, we started vacationing uh, in the winter months in Canada and San Diego and Encinitas. And I started meeting, I mean, that's San Diego is probably like the, the epicenter of, you know, woo woo coaching and, you know, spiritual people and all that fun yeah. stuff. I started just building a completely different peer group. And then, then what is the focus now? It was literally helping other people be successful. And it's, it's actually kind of a, a personal hack. I was, I was talking to my son this morning, um, you know, candidly, you know, he's got moments where there's, he's in a grade where he's got grade five and six kids. So he's in grade five, his grade six, there's these bigger kids that pick on him a little bit. Right. Sure. And I, and I told him, I said, like, you know, I'm not going to tell him to punch them in the face or anything. Uh, I've grown up quite a bit, but I did say like helping other kids that are smaller than you avoid being bullied is a good thing to do. Right. Cause like energetically, the more we help other people be successful, the more success we'll bring into our lives. Right. And, yep. and, and I just feel that it's like, if you want to be healthy, go help people be healthy. And it sounds crazy. Cause if somebody's like, well, I'm 60 pounds overweight. It's like, I get it. Go be the, the lighthouse for your peer group. So that's, that was the big shift for me was 
changing my peer group of coaches, trying to be helpful to them in their coaching practice. And by doing that, learning about the industry and then just changing the whole frame of when I wake up, I want to produce content that is useful to other people. And I want to do that to the, the highest level I can fully expressed um, and not be anybody. I, I for, for probably the first two years, Chase, I was like, you know, and I think it's like learning music. You play other people's music when you start off. And then eventually yeah. you like start to write your own songs. Like at first I was like, am I like Gary V? Am I like this person? You know, like I didn't know. And now I just realize I'm just me. And if people like me, then that's cool. And if not, that's cool too. But it's no effort to be me. Like I have two cameras right now recording me talking. And I do most of my days, all my content, there's no creation. It's just recording. And yeah. the team figures out what they find fascinating and they clip it up and they put it on social. And that's my content strategy. And it's fun because... I don't feel drained at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, I just get to be me. And I'm, I'm honestly, I just keep trying to figure out like, what is, I'll give you a real, like this just happened the other day. I was in Portland for a morning TV, you know, one of those shows for my book. And I put on the button shirt and the jacket and I went, I was with my videographer, Sam. And I remember leaving and I was just mad at myself because I don't wear button shirts. Like I only wore it because I was going on this TV show. And, I, and I, I went back to the hotel room and I literally ripped the button shirt up as a symbol to say I'm never wearing a button shirt unless it's a wedding or like Valentine's. <laughs> right, right. You know, I went out with my wife. She likes when I dress up. I'll do it for her. But me sure. personally, that's not who I am. So I, yeah. I just decided that moment when I do my events, when I go speak, I'm just I'm not going to disrespect the audience. But I'm just going to be me 100 percent because there's no effort and I feel more comfortable when I'm in that headspace of comfort and authenticity, I actually produce my best work. I'm, I'm the better version of Dan for the audience. Well, thank you for sharing that because uh, a lot of people are sitting at home right now. They are trying to do exactly what you described and, and I'll say myself included. And you find yourself occasionally slipping into this, like, wait a minute, how, how did I put on a costume? I wasn't even aware that I put on this fucking costume. And now I'm like, and then you get pissed at yourself. And so in, thank you for being vulnerable and saying that the, you're writing the book on this topic. And still, this, this is sort of how pervasive it is. It's one of the reasons I, again, latched onto this as a concept, this identity, who you are, who you listen to, who you surround yourself with. It is so critical to who you want to be and become in this world. And it's, it's important. I want to put a pin in where we are right now and circle back to something that you said um, and it, I was just texting, you mentioned Tim, I was just texting with him a couple of days ago and you know, the four hour work week, whatever you think of it, it's not about working four hours. That was a book. It was very prescient. It was about the future of managing your time so that you could spend time working on things you loved with people you cared about in areas of your life that you wanted to grow and, and develop as opposed to sitting in a cubicle working for someone. Else. That's really what that book was about. And then, like Tim Ferriss said, and you said, this is where it all comes together, you find out that the equation for that is really not that difficult. Everyone starts chasing this $100 million outcome, and you're like, wait a minute. Uh, none of this shit that I want costs $100 million. And why then am I doing this? And you ultimately end up having put on a costume that someone else talked you into. This is why who you surround yourself with, what you're letting in your ears, eyes, and your life matters deeply. You, it's so easy to run astray. I can confess the same thing happened you know, a number of times around creative life for me. Um, I had all of the things prior to even starting it that to me that was an advantage the way i thought about it talked about it mm -hmm. said you know i this is just all about helping people and yet you get investors you get you know 10 million people using your platform you get confused and so this arrives me at when we get confused we need to find people places resources for answers this goes to your new book buy back your time interesting title why did you title it that well, for the last 15 years, this concept that I call the buyback principle has been the foundation of how I coach CEOs. In, in early days, it was just advising in, you know, founders I invested in, you know, and then when I moved to the Valley, just like meeting with 
entrepreneurs that were starting off that wanted advice to eventually coaching. And the principle is this, is that we shouldn't hire people to grow our businesses. We should hire people to buy back our time. It's a first principle because if you do the second, you'll actually get the first. And if you do the first, you don't always get the second. And I call it a capacity over capability or or a capacity over calendar issue. Um, And I learned this, honestly, like I've always intuitively felt this. Uh, And then Naval Ravikant, when I moved to the Valley, he explained to me, there's the four, four aspects of leverage. You know, if you think of like any output, there's a constant, which is time. Then there's a multiplier of leverage and then there's an output. And, and this is specifically for the artists. I know that's a big part of your crowd. And, and a lot of the entrepreneurs that I wrote the book for, I wrote 25 names down, my brother, my wife, my best friends. A lot of them were, you know, um, my friend, Jessa, who's an artist and, you know, my other friend, Michael, who's a podcaster. So like I wanted to, it was hard to write a book that's relevant to a creative and also a nine figure CEO. Um, but the principle is the same, which is, if you don't approach it through this lens, it's very easy to create what I call the pain line where you grow and you're successful, but when you wake up, you literally hate what you've created, right? And, and usually you do one of three things. I call them the three S's. You either decide you want to you know, sell the business, like I'm done, let's sell this, like I need freedom. Uh, you either decide to stall, like I don't want to grow anymore. I liked when it was smaller and easier and you decide to to stall, but the problem is, is your top employees will eventually leave, you know, because they don't, they don't, they have aspirations for their life. The market has aspirations for what they expect out of a vendor, et cetera. Or you, do, or you do this thing called sabotage, which I've seen with my clients all the time, and I have like dozens of examples in the book of like people throwing hand grenades in their business to give them permission to downsize, because you know, essentially, if you if you just ask yourself, like, if I add a zero to my my customer count next month, like how would my life break? Right. And most of it is the calendar just explodes, right? You just, you have not thought through deploying your money to hire people in the right sequence to actually create freedom. So it's crazy chases, even though I stopped chasing this like outcome for identity purposes and like personal worth, like my self-worth was tied to these achievements. I've gotten there through this process by literally buying back my time and, and understanding the value of my time and how to create. And the whole concept of the book is if you have these, these areas of leverage, right. That are multipliers, you know, there's four of them. I, I, I call them the four C's Naval calls them something different, but it's capital, which we all know it's content, which is, this is an example, but a playbook in your business would be content. A video training would be content. There's code, you know, everybody's been talking about AI and GPT lately. So like automation software, that's a huge form of leverage. And then third is collaboration or or labor or capital, right? But no entrepreneur is ever taught of how to think about hiring people in what sequence. They literally have a fire and they go, I need to put out the fire, so I'm gonna hire somebody to put out the fire. But it's actually the wrong sequence because the CEO is the most important person in the company, the founder is the most important person in the company. Their decision to decide to stop doing the company is the thing that puts the whole thing at risk. So the way I coach clients is literally help them understand the value of their time and then how to deploy this thing called the buyback loop, which is audit transfer fill. Let's audit your calendar for time and energy. Let's transfer the stuff that doesn't fit anymore. And let's fill it up with things that light you up that make your business a lot of money. Amazing. Let's keep pulling on this thread and take a very specific example. I'm going to say, Hey, I let you into my calendar. We're in a coaching, uh, arrangement right now. Um, how do you do that? And I, I'll, 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 I'm going to fill it with, to protect the innocent, I'm going to fill it with fake things, but you like, let's pretend that you're doing this process on me right now. And again, this is all detailed in the book. Uh, I want to give a shout out, um, buy back your time, get unstuck, reclaim your freedom and build your empire. So let's yeah. run a little fictitious scenario. I mean, how does your, how does your process, Hey, Dan, so lucky and grateful to be working with you. Where do we begin? Yeah, so it's it's a fun conversation. Um, first off, I want to unpack the empire word because it scares people. Okay, my definition of empire is creating a life of or creating a life of unlimited creation you never have to retire from. 
It's okay. not a financial thing. It's not a size thing. It's literally getting to a place where you're like, wake up and you get to create with people you admire. And there's no limit to that level. I think it's a pretty fun place to get to. Yeah. Um, it's the best. Um, but what I, what I do with clients is first off, we got to figure out their buyback rate. So the buyback rate is this simple math formula. I know I lose half the audience when I start talking math, but I'll make it fun, right? <laughs> we want to take your income and, and, and the income is either what you pay yourself how much money your business makes in profit and discretionary expenses. Cause let's be honest, nobody likes to pay taxes. So they put a bunch of stuff through their business. That's really personal. It's not needed, but it's still relevant as to like value you create on an annual basis. So that's your total amount of that number is income. So let's call it a hundred grand to keep it simple. Um, the next, the next part of the equation is you divide it by 2000. And the reason it's 2000 is there's about 2000 hours in a year. So if you take the hundred thousand is your income, and then you, you know, let's say it's 70 grand in your salary and 20% in profit and 10% yeah. discretionary expenses. That's a hundred that works out to about $50 an hour. Okay. So that's, that's the essentially your hourly value creation. Like how much do you actually create per hour of work? It's, it's that number. And um, that 2000, that basically gives you holidays and a couple months to exactly. It's about 200 days a year, eight hours a day kind of thing. Yeah. It's about 2000 yeah. hours on average. You know, if you take weekends and holidays out, sure. that's, that's kind of the general rule of thumb. Most entrepreneurs work a lot more, but you know, let's keep it simple. Uh, and then you divide that by four because that number, so it's $50 is, you know, hundred thousand divided by 2000. It's $50. We divide that 50 by four because four, I want people to get a four times ROI on buying back their time. So okay. now 50 turns into $12 and 50 cents. So my argument right off the bat is that if you are doing anything in your business that you could pay somebody else to do for $12.50 or less, you're working against yourself. Period and full stop. There's it's a mathematical equation. You cannot million dollar companies were not built off $10 tasks. Right? So, um once we understand the buyback rate and is and it's a cool number to know cuz every year you can try to make it better. Right. It's like, oh, my yeah. buyback rate's $23. I want to make it 36 next year. So how do I do that? You know, increase your income. Uh, but when I work with clients, the first thing we do is I teach them the buyback loop, which is, you know, essentially pain line felt. Hey, let's go to audit transfer fill. Audit starts with we look at your calendar and I ask you to do a time and energy audit over a two-week period. So every 15 minutes, you're gonna log ideally on paper. You can use your calendar. What did you do in that 15-minute window? And you just write it all down. Okay. So this would be a 10 out of 10 uh, exercise, but some people can like fast track it by just looking at their calendar. Sure. Once you have the audit, then you go back and you highlight in green things that light you up, things that you enjoy. I love this conversation. This would be a green, right? And sure. you would do red, anything that takes your energy, things that you don't look forward to. You know, if I'm starting off, I'm assuming, you know, things like bookkeeping accounts, receivable, uh, invoicing, like there's just a bunch of stuff that naturally most entrepreneurs, unless you're a finance background, you don't enjoy doing right. Yeah. Then you go back and you, you score each one through a $1 or $4 sign cost to pay somebody else to do it. Right. So $1 would be, you know, something that like an administrative assistant could do $4 signs would be like something only a C CEO or a director would have to do. Right. And there's this gradient scale. It's, it's very simple because it's just like yeah. a restaurant score. Then what you do is you've got this lot, this audit, you pull everything into a bucket that's red or $1 sign or $2 signs. And that is the only thing you should be hiring people to help you with. See, most people go like, I literally just talked to an entrepreneur the other day and they're like, yeah, I'm hiring a salesperson. And I'm like, how many sales calls are you doing a week? They're like four. You don't need a salesperson. Well, what do you mean? I go, you're going to, I'll, I'll fast forward to the end. You're going to hire the person and six months later, they're going to quit or you're going to fire them because they're not making any money and you're not going to be happy because they don't have enough calls. Well, why don't you have enough calls? Well, I don't have a marketing program. Okay. So let's, so why don't you have a marketing program? I don't have time to create it. Okay. Why don't you have time? Well, I'm really pulled into the business on the delivery side. Okay. Why don't you pull yourself <laughs> out of delivery? I can't afford to do that yet. Okay. Why can't you afford to do it? And then it's like, literally you work through it. In the book, I have this thing called the replacement ladder where I walk through the math behind this. Yeah, And it's literally that simple. So if you think about it, I anytime I'm gonna hire any person, right? It's the buyback principle. We don't hire to grow our business. We hire people to buy back our time. If we use that process, the time and energy audit, then it, it, it adds like guardrails to have you not be inefficient. It's like the, my other friend, uh, Rachel, she was like, yeah, I'm hiring a social media manager to manage my podcast and stuff. And I'm like, oh yeah, what are you paying them? And they're like 35 an hour. 
I go, what's your buyback rate? They're like, uh, 17. Okay. Again, go back to the book. Like <laughs> you're, 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 you're doing stuff cause you think that's the right sequence, but it's not. And what you want to do is, is buy back the red stuff out of your calendar. Cause like as chase, you can imagine, cause I, I know you're there, right? If you wake up and your whole calendar is full of green things, the way you create is so Dude, different. So different. Right? So different. It actually is an, I don't talk enough about it in the book because it's kind of like a more of a kind of an energetic output, but it's, I consider it a three to four X amplifier on creation. Yeah. If, if my day goes from green to green to green to green to green, man, I'm just stacking it energetic momentum. Bananas. Yes. Yeah. And this is sort of why I'm asking for this combination that which you're doing a lovely job you're helping us understand. There are some very specific tactics that can get you to here because right now, who is sitting on the park bench or sitting in traffic or jogging on the jogging trail right now while they're listening to this saying, nope, don't want everything on my calendar to be green and I don't want to grow my personal empire to use your words. No one says that. So therefore, if we can say that most people would like to get better at this. This is this is the great mystery. It's a black box. And what I love about what you've done here is here are a handful of tactics that are the literal steps to take, even if you don't fully arrive, because let's face it, fully arriving, it's a process. Is a it's, yeah. it's a process. It's difficult. But when you start to see these things happen, you start to see more green shit in your calendar and less red shit, it is very difficult to explain how that feels. And to me, yeah. this is this is sort of the false fault force multiplier. And to get back to Naval's, like this is the leverage. catapult. This is leverage. Yeah. This is in unless you have experienced that, all you, you have can't to appreciate do is, it. Yeah, you can't appreciate it. And this is if I was to do anything in, in today's show, people, this feeling that you can get, and there's always going to be some red shit in your calendar. But imagine if if nine out of ten things were green. It's very hard to articulate how everything else in your life accelerates, not just your business, because you're happier when you, you are done at the end of the day to spend time with your family, or you don't have to wait till the end of the day because you've had enough green in your calendar that you can include, you know, lunch with your kids or whatever. Totally. It, it, it's a force multiplier. So it, it's all part of it. I mean, this yeah. is the, the fun part is, is I hope it also shows people that because there's a lot of entrepreneurs that are really talented, you know, creators or artists or even just like, you know, consultants or whatever. And their thought of like, well, I don't want to grow this because I don't want this extra pressure. And I understand where their assumptions come from. But if you follow this, there's no pressure that builds up. If anything, every hire is a pressure reliever. Mm -hmm. And it actually stacks to a place where you can have the business that generates the lifestyle that you were promised when you started as an entrepreneur, let's be honest, right? Like we all started companies so that we have some level of freedom, except unfortunately it's a joke. Like most people don't get there. Right. They make less money per hour than working at McDonald's. That's, that's statistics. Um, and, and it allows you to, you know, build that business and just live a life that's just more fulfilled, right? Like one of my buddies, Mike messaged me, he read the book, and he was like, two things. He was like, I totally misunderstood you because people follow me online, think I'm like this like hard charging, you know, uh, you know, productivity hustler, right? They, he literally said that. He's like, I thought you were this. And now that I understand, because I put my whole calendar in the book, I put all my processes, I talk about my lifestyle. He's like, man, I totally misunderstood you. And I think I was using, because he had some essentially PTSD from his previous company that kind of like, same experience, like blew it up. It was successful, but it like almost cratered his marriage. And then his new company, it was like what he called the lifestyle business and it's smaller and it's simpler. But he also goes, I've been playing a smaller game and using it as an excuse, but you've just shown me how I can do both. Where if I really truly believe in impact and serving people that I shouldn't have a cap on that capacity. And it was just a decision of sequencing my hiring, right? And, and obviously like, you know, the part of the loop is audit transfer fill. There's transfer. Like, how do you get stuff out of your calendar onto somebody else and have a very simple and elegant and powerful framework called the camcorder method. But then the other part, Chase, which I think, you know, the truth is, because I've been doing this for so long, I, I know all the psychological barriers. Most people don't trust themselves. They actually like their inbox to tell mm. them what to prioritize because it mm. feels productive. Mm. 
if I actually gave them an extra day, if I said magically, you just have an extra day to work on, on your business only, most entrepreneurs would not know what to do at that time. So that's mm -hmm. the fill part. So the buyback loop is audit, transfer, fill. You audit to figure out the low value uh, energy sucking activities. You transfer it to somebody else. So you deploy, you know, you take some of that money and you hire somebody and they only do that stuff because it's very efficient. But then it's like, okay, what do I do with my time now that I've created this space, this newfound time? And, you know, I talk about it where it's you, you either do more of the thing that, that makes you money, right? So like the work. So like, you know, if you're doing logo design and you're only doing 15 hours a week, logo designing, like try to get that to 25 or 30. And then if you have that capacity and you've actually like bought back your time with an executive assistant, you hired a logo designer. So you're not even doing logo design anymore. And you're just like doing creative direction, then it's investing in yourself. So the fill gets really exciting because I talk about beliefs, character traits, and, um, and, and worldviews, right? Like beliefs or sorry, beliefs, skills, and character traits. It's kind of like th the, like a ladder, you know, you've got one side of the ladder, which is our, are your skills? Like what are the skills I need to acquire to to create more? What are the beliefs around the way I think of the world that I need to adopt? Because the truth is, if you already believe the right beliefs, you would already have the thing you want and you don't. So what are the new beliefs I got to acquire? And then if you do those things, those, then you lock those in, those become character traits, right? Mental toughness, consistency, uh, motivation, all these things. And that's actually the thing that makes this thing work is because I, you know, Tim talks about in his book and, and, and I referenced his book because it was, it had a huge impact on my life. Um, but I don't think he ever talked really about like, okay, if you buy back this time, how do you redeploy it in a way that's efficient? Because what I've seen people do more often than not is hire people to buy back their time and then don't do anything productive. And then eventually the business doesn't make any more money. It is more complicated. And then they decide they don't want to do it anymore. Right? Like it, it's, it's actually um, because they don't know what to do with that newfound time. And that's, that's a big part of the book is part of the buyback loop is, you know, go through this process to get to the point where your business is actually now really fun to be involved in. And then, you know, invest in hobbies, invest in your mental health and your relationships and all these other areas, because you just are a better person if you do those, like this, this fallacy of like sacrificing, you know, I have a, story of a, a friend of mine that came to me and um, his business, he was probably doing 6 million in revenue and took a big hit. I think he lost 2 million. And so like his EBITDA went away and he was unprofitable and he had like three young children. And he went to his wife and said like, Hey babes, I, I know what I need to do to fix this. It was a retail store. Um, but it's going to require me to not be here in the morning and not be here at night. And I'm going to go do that for us, but I need you to take care of the family. And when he told me that, man, I was like heartbroken. Yeah. Cause I told him, I said, I gotta be honest, man, your family never asked you for that. And it didn't need that. And what you were trying to create, you could solve the problem, but like you had these beliefs that just didn't serve the future. Right. And you're not going to get those, like his kids were like two, six and eight. Like you're those not getting that time back. Yeah. yeah. They're gone. Like, dude, and man, he broke down when, cause this was like after the fact he's telling me this story and I was like, man, and this is why I was so compelled to write this book is I just don't want people to do that. I just, I don't buy into that. And, it, and it's just, it's actually not true. Like I can prove it to any person mathematically, structurally, it's just not required. If you're, if you're at least willing to show up and do some work and just be a little bit more intentional about what you focus on. Both things can be true. You can have a high quality of life and have an incredible business that doesn't feel like you're, you're a prisoner to it. I'm fascinated by the fill concept. And I, if you're willing to um, humor me here, I'm going to use myself as an example. I, I tried to earlier say, let's give fictitious me, fictitious calendar. This is real me. So having basically fulfilled um, your loop and having at multiple times been unclear of what to fill my now bought back time with, I had, you know, 12 employees as a photo studio 10 years ago when no 15 years, no, Annie Leibovitz didn't have 12 full-time employees. And I, that actually gave me the time to go, you know, start the first photo app to start creative live, to do all these other things that then 
you know, created another revolution of the crank that put me back into this position where I'll just say I'm, I am now as an example. I have recently come up with a uh, harsh truth and I want to weigh it. I want you to weigh it for me here in real time. And I wonder if, if I'm hiding something or if this is, could be seen as a productive, I believe it is, but I want you to throw rocks at it. Tell me if it's good, bad, indifferent. The thing that I fill my acquired time with is the ability to tinker. Mm. And one of the reasons that I love tinkering is because as I have looked back in my career, seen this as somewhat of a luxury, when I first tinkered, it's because I didn't have any bills. I didn't, I didn't owe anybody anything. I had time to tinker. I could figure out how to use a camera before the internet. I could take a picture, write a bunch of stuff down, and then when I developed my film, look at what I wrote down next to that picture, whether it was exposure or what. I had time to tinker. Now, fast forward, the ability to tinker is where all of my best stuff comes from because that helps me understand what to work on, what do I enjoy. And to do that without pressure, it, it, I feel like I have finally arrived. Now, the question is, is this a legitimate thing to fill my time with, Dan? Or am, am I living in a delusion that this is some other less valuable thing than it is? So you can't answer that question without first asking the question of like, what, what's the direction you're trying to create for your life, right? So chapter 13 in the book is called um, Dream Bigger, Achieve Bigger. And I, I encourage and walk people through a process of designing what I call a 10x vision map because 10X is actually easier than 2X. Uh, I got that from Dan Sullivan. So I give people permission to dream, right? Because I think a lot of times we don't do that for ourselves. We're so focused yeah. on the how that we don't focus on the what and the why. So if you knew that and, and you, you could give me that answer, then, then we could talk about how would the fill work to support that? But for example, without knowing that, I'll, I'll, I'll break down a few ideas. Um, one framework I teach is called the 108010 rule, because I'm like you, I like to tinker. The yeah. nuance about how I tinker is different because I always start with, okay, if I tinker and it's successful, who's the person I give this to? And the reason why I, I force myself to at least figure that out is because what typically happens with entrepreneurs that are creators and, and innovators, this is literally every entrepreneur, we're all creators. It's like, what would be the perfect day? Just creating all day with cool people, for sure. Is if we don't have the person that eventually takes the tinkering, then we just start creating more jobs for ourselves. So, mm. and, and, and as you explain, like the creative lives and the, the, the photo app and all this stuff, it's like essentially you became the CEO of the next thing and that kind of filled out your calendar and it, it kept going. So the nuance for me when I coach my clients, especially ones that are, you know, like eight, nine figure CEOs is we always start with the who that, so like right now, for example, I'm, I've been tinkering with, um, AI as it pertains to coaching. Yep. But the first thing I did, I said, well, who's the AI, like, who's the, the, the person, the, the, like the lead, the owner of this. So that as I tinker with them, if something moves, they own it. And it's the 108010 rules. And I got this from like Steve Jobs. Gary Vee is a great example of this, yeah. where I want to tinker in the first 10% because it's really fun. It's like the discovery, it's the totally. connection, it's the context, it's like, you know, it's the remixes. You're taking different ideas and you're playing around with it. But then I want to give those ideas to somebody else that can do the 80% effort, right? So, like, I want to play with Chat GPT. I want to go play with Mid Journey. I want to go play with some of these video stuff. And then I want to give the, the, the further exploration of that to somebody else that then comes back to me and we collaborate, right? So Steve Jobs did this with Johnny Ive in the design studio. Gary has this in the team Gary. He has like a payroll of probably 3 million a year with 30 people outside his office that he collaborates with them at the 10% tinker level and they go and do 80% of the effort. And then the last 10% is where it comes back to you to like synthesize and understand and kind of give more direction. But yeah. you just you do it in a way that avoids you being the person that has to push it forward. So it actually reduces a lot of waste too. Because another wasteful thing I think I see with CEOs is they go tinker and they actually have an opportunity, but they can't execute it because they haven't thought about the person. 
And it sometimes they'll grab somebody from their company, which creates distractions, which creates a whole hole that's, you know, and it's like inadvertently they're sabotaging their success. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's literally like right now I'm thinking about it for a new project. And I just, I just start asking myself, like, who are the people that I think could lead this if it becomes something and let's tinker with them. And that's the small nuance that I would, I would suggest to, no, to anybody beautiful. listening. It's yeah. Beautiful. It's just like a little, a little tweak that actually like gets exciting for me. Cause then I like to collaborate with people. I know steel sharpens steel. I want to be around people. And then also like, Oh, if this becomes a thing, they can take it and run with it. And I can do the, the part that I love. Cause essentially it's buying back your time. Like I'm not buying back my time. If I keep create, keep creating work for myself. Right now this is, and I should clarify, and you did a nice job of uh, interpolating um, my it's, I, I think of it exactly the same way. And the idea of great, if this has legs, there's a whole new set of things that I don't enjoy doing that. And I only do these, I do these things. And then the way I decide to move forward is, do I have this person who I would love to collaborate with on this thing? And if no is the answer, right. And if no is the answer, I, it usually gets simmered because the amount of effort that I would have to put in to my, to take it to the next level myself is disproportionately fucks up my ability to tinker with other stuff. So if, yeah. if I, I love the 10, 80, 10 rule, um, and the, a person, this is, again, goes, goes back to one of the things you said very early in our conversation, which I think is sage is who are you spending your time with? If you're in a cold room and you want to be in a warmer room, you have to like use your skills, talent, resources, wherewithal, intuition, whatever means and get yourself into a warm room. So first of all, thank you. That helped me personally. And, um, I'm always cheeky and, and invite my own, I invite you to critique my own stuff. I, I, I appreciate little, that. About I you. get a little advice out That's of great. the, out yeah. of the call, a little therapy here. Um, what's the unspoken, what's the hidden truth that's buried in buying back your time mm. because like, we've all got these, there's these hidden aspects that you're not going to read on the flap of the book or maybe even the first time you read it, but what's like, what's the force multiplier? What's the catapult? What's the supercharger, the 10 X or that's hidden in the book that um, is going to make someone want to like, okay, cool. If I can get this book and get that out of it, that is worth my time. Yeah. N none of this works if you don't become the person who can deal with a higher level of complexity. Mm. None How do of we this do that? Works. How do we do that? I, I did my best in the book. I literally have a whole chapter on transformational leadership versus transactional management. Um, I, I tried to pepper it with hundreds of examples of like beliefs and mindset traps that I think people run into. But the core thing is if, if you understand that, you know, all entrepreneurship is, is this beautiful forcing function of betterment um, and your ability to deal with $10 problems when you start off to $100 problems, $1,000 problems, to $10,000 problems and approach a $10,000 problem the same way you used to approach a $100 problem, right? Not that you dismiss it like it didn't happen, but you don't overreact. Like no matter what I share tactically about, you know, buying back your time, the business is always at the mercy of the CEO. And unfortunately, most CEOs are successful because they went through some level of chaos in their lives. Um, and that chaos taught them how to deal with the higher level of uncertainty and challenges, which is why they're usually entrepreneurs because they're, mm. they don't need certainty and they're, they're willing to push the status quo and they're, they're willing to buck the system and all these things, but it's a double-edged sword. Right. And it's, you know, when we start, I call it dark energy, like we're, we're burning like dark fuel to drive us, prove our parents wrong, prove ourselves right. You know, this feeling of unworthiness or not enoughness and the real beauty that's not, I talk about it a little bit in the books so I have in chapter three, I talk about the idea of entrepreneurial chaos and the time assassins, but the thing that would 10 X everybody is understanding that as soon as we can shift to a a, an output in a creative energy source that is light energy, that is about contribution, that is about how do I become the person who can deal with a higher level or how can I 
How can I lead in a, in a way that's more supportive to my team? Um, and do the work, right? That's, that's the fill. So like when I talk about the fill, it's beliefs. Like most people have some really messed up money beliefs that are never going to allow them to do anything important, right? Most people have, uh, people beliefs around like nobody can do it as good as me. And, and I'll always have to be involved somehow or all these things. Like these are the, this is the underlying like frame of the, the, the book that I, I wanted, you know, I wanted to make it incredibly like tactical, but at the same time, this is in some fun ways. It's funny because the people think it's a productivity book and it's like, yes, but no. And it's like, is it a mindset book? Yes, but no. Like it's, it's a lot of those, but that would be the 10 X is that when you can start realizing that your business is nothing more than a tool for you to increase your capacity, what I call full spectrum to be full, more full spectrum in all aspects of your life. Um, that's, that's really cool. And I hope that when people, get to that place that they circle back and let me know because that is that is my hope that's why i wrote the book that's what i want for every person i wrote those 25 names down that's what i wanted for them but you know if people don't ask me for advice i don't give it but what's cool about social media and writing a book is i can put it out there and use their situations as inputs to inspire me to produce content and hopefully one day and that's what's been true about this book they decide to read it and they they start to see themselves in the content. They don't realize they actually inspired the content. I love that. I'm going to tell you a true story from this morning. So I go to the same coffee shop. When I'm in Seattle, we have a couple of different homes. When I'm in Seattle, I go to the same coffee shop. And the the there's a core group of baristi, multiple baristas, baristi who will say, hey, Chase, like what's going on today? And uh, they pay attention to the podcast and say, Who, you know, are you recording any shows today? And I say, well, yes, I am. And um, we often have a little dialogue. Or, and they, they, if they know the person or don't know the person, we always have a little chit-chat about it. Like, are you excited about it? And this is usually while they're like pouring the foam on Kate's like almond milk latte or whatever. And I mentioned, yeah, I'm hosting a show this morning with the, this guy, Dan Martell. And the the – the concept is, you know, and I pulled up my phone, I showed him the book, like buying back your time. And the guy said, well, I need to read this book because I'm, what did he, I think, he, what do you say? He said, uh, oh, maybe it's a little bit too incriminating. He said something about it, not, not, not being great at time management. And I said, this isn't actually about time management or productivity. It's about how to 10 X your personal output on the things that you love. And it, it was so like, just that little seed, it changed how he thought about time management in a moment. And he was like, and I'm like, this is not about like getting 10 times more things done. This is how to, how to think differently about your time. I, I said something like that. And I watched him tell the other, and so then I walked away and I'm, you know, I'm standing uh, at the front door here with my new little golden retriever and I'm watching him tell the other two people we just talked about. So my, my message here is I believe that this is contagious, that there's something special here about buying back your time that you hit this mix of tactics and sort of the bigger why. And as I said, opening the show, I do not know anyone who has achieved this balance of success and fulfillment, who has not had all these influences, tell them how to do it and ultimately have to go away, do the inner journey, do the work, and then come back to creating the life that they want for themselves. I think you've done a masterful job here, not to blow smoke, but Whatever you, whatever water you're drinking up there in Canada, it's full of good shit, man. It's full of good Appreciate stuff. Appreciate that. Um, if the hidden thing is, um, is this, you know, how to how to ten x instead of two x, um, I recommend you buy ten of these instead of two. <laughs> mm. Give them, give them his gifts. Buy back your time. Get unstuck. Reclaim your freedom and build your empire. I promised that we would, you know, talk a little bit about the book. Um, is there anything about the book that I didn't 
you know, that we haven't talked about that you feel like is extra valuable? Cause uh, you know, I like your story contextually and, and, um, strategically as much as this, the tactics, but I want to make sure that we get everything in there on the book that you want. Yeah. I would, I would say as we wrap up the, um, the big thing is, is I, as you mentioned, I put every painful story from my fiance leaving me to the struggle with, you know, I grew up in addiction in prison and, and just, I start the book with it. So it's like, you know, to, to the, the most ridiculous things I've ever done as a leader, as a CEO to my team, the things I've like, just things I'm absolutely embarrassed about. I, I, I wanted to be 110% authentic and not hold back. And I put all that in the book so that hopefully I, I help people relate at, regardless of the stage they're at. And then the thing that I think often gets missed and, you know, we got to sequence the book a certain way, um, to hit certain notes, but the last chapter is actually the buyback lifestyle and applying these same concepts to our home. And that is actually where I think the biggest impact could, could serve people is mm. using the same concepts applied to how you show up in your, in your home with your partner and your kids. And, um, you know, that, it was one chapter and I try to do as good a job as I can as unpacking kind of a future possibility, start with the business, create the resources, but then quickly bring it into your home. And I think it'll show you a lifestyle that you thought was only reserved for the rich. Um, and it's available to everybody listening to this call or this podcast. I love it. And just like, uh, this barista, um, was, you know, is literally is like, and, uh, let's be real. I, I know that, that it sounds inflammatory. This is about sort of 10 Xing. It's not about, you know, packing more to do lists it's into not. your, into your no. day. Um, but I appreciate the thoughtfulness with which you approach it. And I do, I think it's worth acknowledging your vulnerability. That's that makes the best stuff. Um, thank you for being on the show, Dan. You're always Absolute welcome pleasure. here. Um, you're always welcome here. And one last time again, buy back your time, get unstuck, reclaim your freedom and build your empire. Number one, new release here on Amazon. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. Congrats. Wall street journal, bestseller too. That was, nice. was kind of awesome. Thanks. Congrats. And, uh, for everybody out there in the world, uh, recommended, recommended reading. Um, Dan, thanks again for being on the show to everybody out there in the world from Dan and myself. We both bid you guys adieu. All right. Hey, before you go, thanks so much for listening. And if you got value from this show, chances are your community will too, right? In the particular lies the universal. Please share this link to the show with a friend or mention the show on social. That is a huge benefit for us in hopefully in exchange for providing value to you. I want you to know that I really appreciate your time, the attention, anything that you give to the show and the questions that you ask our guests, either on social media or through my text community, all of that is pure gold. This community, like any community, is a testament to that old phrase, a rising tide floats all boats. And by elevating one another, by sharing and resharing this show, the tidbits that you learn and the experiences you take away, all of that has a collective, massive, positive impact on the world. So just a quick thank you. I appreciate all the effort you put into sharing this show. All right, that's a wrap. Let's put today's episode into practice and get back to growing together. <music>